Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. All right. Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. I am your host, Mark Watson. Uh, today, I'm really excited to have uh, our first team on the podcast with us. They're, they're a little bit of a dream team. They're, they're, they're joining us today from, I, I guess it'd be Southern Washington-ish, um, from, from Olympia. We've got Lauren Miles and, and David Miner from the Washington State TBI Council. And they're doing you know, really important work in brain injury from really kind of a, a state level and really looking at you know, education and advocacy and systems and programming and thought leadership. And you know, it's just really you know, wonderful as I've, I've learned a little bit more about this organization and, and what they're doing. It's gonna be really, I think, you're gonna to wanna to listen up on this one because this is really looking at the whole kind of ecosystem of brain injury and from a systems and advocacy level, how we can start to move towards influencing change. So I'm just so excited to have you both with me here today. And uh, just thank you again uh, for being here, David and, and Lauren. Uh, Mark, thanks for inviting us. This is, uh, it, it's exciting and there's exciting things going on in Washington state that really we have open for anyone to, to access. And, and I think that's the most important item. Anything to add there, Lauren? Yeah, I think our intention with that is to really open up the opportunity for people to become aware of not just how they can keep their brain healthy and, and know things that they didn't know before and understand what happens with you know cognition as, as we age and as things happen to us. And, and understand what that means for people around them, um, you know, what that means for how people behave and communicate and how, you know, we ourselves behave and communicate. You know, the more we know about that, the more we can be self-aware and, you know, interact with, with our partners and um, our communities better. 100%. And, uh, you know, for the people that are listening, you know, again, these could be people that are, you know, in the medical field, these could be, you know, really interested stakeholders or citizens. These could be people that might be looking for services and, and have had a brain injury and everything kind of in between, you know, maybe it might be useful if, if you could just explain to the listeners why the Washington State TBI Council exists, you know, what is this exciting organization kind of all about? Uh, that, you know, I'd, I'd really like to highlight the council, uh, the Washington state strategic, uh, advisory partnership council is from the governor's office. We work under the department of social and health services. So that's where we, from an administrative standpoint, where we are, and it's a 25 person council. The chair of the council is Karen Kazuka, and we have a three person executive committee that leads the way in building various committees. Uh, right now we have an independent living committee going on. We call it a pathway because we find that's a better focusing point to, to have that pathway build like a cross the continuum of an injury or across the continuum for just a citizen in the state 
where are different intervention points? We front doors, you know? So when you take a person-centered practices approach, it's about the individual, but how do you help them find the front doors? Uh, another one of the pathways we're doing right now is return to school. It's an important topic that we help educators understand how to bring the student back to school post-concussion or with a TBI and really hone in and help them. We could talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but the, the council's made up, like I said a few minutes ago, of 25 individuals, and they come from various state agencies and uh, Department of Learning and then citizens that the governor appoints for three-year terms. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. And Lauren, did you have anything that you, that you wanted to add there as well? I think a little more on our um, council and how they really inform us and, and the work that we do, you know, tying it back to, to their name, the Strategic Partnership um, Advisory Council, it really is what how we work and how we are trying to think about our approach and our and the shifts that we're making is how can we be strategic? Mm. How can we um, work with our partners in that way, in, in a way that's mutually beneficial? And how do we make sure that we're listening to each other so that we can be strategic? Because so often it's that communication piece that is, you know, what gets things all uh, messed up and there's so much back and forth and then things take a long time. Um, so, you know, we've really been working on how do we as, as a council and as the support of the council get on the same page and sort of reorient ourselves to the work because we have changed the way that we're doing most, um, almost everything. And so um, it's, it's a big shift, not just for us, but for them. Um, so we're, we're navigating our way through that, but I would just say that they have been pretty amazing and flexible and, and worked with us um, throughout the way and um, give wonderful input in the, the pathways um, subcommittee groups that David mentioned, you know, and, and we really had to make those pathways because there wasn't a clear pathway before, you know, so we're sort of blazing that trail with our council members. I love it. And that's part of what really you know, colleague of mine, Michelle, uh, highlighted about both of you is you're you're seeking to to better understand how to increase impact, right, in education, and you know that kind of aligns with the with the work we do as well as trying to understand okay how how can we make an impact for for certain people and and really certain organizations, and you know this is you know really actually quite innovative work that you're doing. And I think it's going to be wonderful to hear a little bit more about what brought you to this work, right? I mean, I think we were talking earlier, David and I, especially about some of what brought, you know, even, you know, me into some of this work, maybe for the <laughs> listeners so that they can understand contextually what brought you to the, to the world of brain injury and, and, and to the council. Go ahead, Lauren. Um, well, for me, um, my professional background is um, mainly working directly with people who are um, experiencing homelessness and navigating multiple systems. And I've also done a lot of work with youth and young adults who were exiting our um, foster care system and also navigating a lot of um, systems and really just to attain um, housing. And so through those experiences, I learned a lot about the systemic barriers that we are up against and how 
impactful those can be in, in all of the wrong ways for the people that we are trying to help and listen to. And so with the type of work that we're doing and the changes that we're really um, trying to bring to, to our state and, and communities is how do we begin to address those systemic problems and think about those in a way that gives people choice and, and opportunity um, instead of becoming so bogged down by the systems that those are dictating what we do and reducing or eliminating choice for people. That's awesome. I applaud you for following. You know, it can be sometimes maybe a bit easier to just notice a problem and just say, okay, well, that's a problem. <laughs> and, and it can take a lot of courage to say, well, that's a problem. That's a problem. And, and maybe there's something we can do mm-hmm. about it. And I really applaud you for taking that step because I know that that's not always easy to do. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, that's one of the things that I really love about the work is being able to look at and really um, analyze those problems with, with other people who also really care and, and want to bring this depth of experience that is really multidisciplinary. Um, our council and, and everyone that we work with has, has a completely different perspective and background. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that has really helped show us pathways forward, you know, and, and learn how to listen to each other better um, because yeah, we, we can't build it by ourselves. No. It's got no. to be everyone. Well, it comes back to that keyword you keep mentioning as these pathways, right? It's like, how do we work together, right? And I, and I yes. love that. It's like the hub and spoke kind of thing. I, I, I love that. Now, David, how about you? What, tell us a little bit more about what, what led you into this. Well, you know, uh, my, my journey was a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I did 22 years in the U.S. Navy Submarine Force and then worked for a defense contractor and taught ground forces point of injury care for tactical trauma. So during that, during that experience with the tactical trauma training, one of the areas that we worked with in educating was on how to do quick signs and symptoms for potential concussion TBI. Mm. And it, it was just a fluke. The opportunity came up and I applied. So oh. my master's is in infrastructure planning and management. So I have more of a foundational type mindset in building foundation. And what does a city really need to operate roads, garbage, sewer, mm. et cetera. So I, I've always used that as my thought process throughout all my careers. And this opportunity provided the, well, let's go in and and see what we have and really take a good look at what they've already done. The the council has done some amazing conceptualizing and building over the past decade. We needed to take it and take all those various pieces and parts and move them forward. And that's what brought me here is just that opportunity and thank you, you know, again for your, your your commitment to service. And so that's actually one of the core values of our organization. And service can mean many different things. And um, you know, I just what an eclectic group you have <laughs> between the two of you. It's pretty, pretty awesome, uh, and pretty, you know, pretty balanced. So 
Thank you for yes. sharing that, David. It's really um, quite the experience. And I really appreciate your mindset. Like I really, it makes me think of, you know, systems theory and systems approach, which is really resonates heavily for me because that's actually when, when I got into this work, that's actually always been my sort of my approach is, is I appreciate systems. You know, I, I may seem kind of visionary at times, but I'm actually much more of a systems person. And maybe that comes from my sport background. I don't know. Uh, you know, it was, you know, each week I had a game plan, a very clear, you know, a plan for each practice. And that related to the game plan that was to be executed at 1 p.m. on Saturday. You know, it was all very structured and clear. And, and I really, you know, admire that, David, because I think that is something that is really um, needed that, that in order to improve outcome in anything that is actually scalable and more reliable. Because in the world of brain injury, you know, one of the things that we were talking about that I think is a really wonderful initiative that you're taking on is, is assessment. You know, assessment can be, it can be really hard <laughs> to assess a, a brain injury. And, you know, maybe if you wouldn't mind, share a little bit about that in your experience. And David and, and Lauren, some, one of the initiatives you mentioned, I'm sure, that I know there's many, but one of the initiatives you mentioned is kind of a pretty big project that, that's looking at assessment in a, in a certain population. You know, we started to move forward some ideas that the council had really over about the last five years. So we laid them all out and it's with our Department of Corrections statewide. Mm -hmm. So they felt that it was a very underserved population. And how do we really determine what the level is of TBI in corrections. If you look at the studies and you look at the work that's been done throughout research, it's, it's a wide guess, right? It's 30 to 70%. No one's really assessing anyone for TBI when they enter the prison system. Well, you could make a generalized assumption that there was probably some trauma involved or some type of trauma in order to find yourself in that situation where you were right. gonna spend time in prison. So they have always wanted to do work there as far as provide information and resources, but we took it a little bit further and we identified some, some gap analysis and kind of really building up a foundational piece that the prison system can use long-term. We needed to know how many people really potentially had the TBI. So the first step was, let's do an assessment, let's build an assessment, let's build a screening tool so everyone that enters the system, whether it be male or female, has this initial screening done. And we are close to having that put into place. It should be put into place actually relatively shortly, maybe even in the next day or two. Awesome. So everyone entering the system will start to have that screening accomplished, which will go into the continuum, which I think is important because you have to have a continuum. You just can't say, okay, they have a TBI. It can't stop there. So a six-pillared piece that we built for corrections uh, from that point would be a secondary screening to figure out basically mild, moderate, potentially severe. And then it would go on to where the individual, while they're incarcerated, they would have the opportunity to attend a course on TBI. They would have the opportunity to attend virtual support groups that we're doing. There's hundreds of items already built into the prison's resource library, and the council was very helpful in that. They went and found some of the best material that they, they had. 
um, and, the, and the prison system is already using that. We're setting up resources for when someone transitions out of prison to where mm. none of it's lost to where now they understand what's available on the public side. Long-term, longitudinally, the goal is to reduce recidivism because these people understand or they have the ability to know, you know what, I, I'm kind of struggling here a little bit. Let me jump in and go back to a resource. We do provide resources in the state on the public side that are meant to help someone that has short-term issues find long-term supports and services. Wow. So if we build it all the way across, then it should all hold up foundationally. I, I know I sound hesitant, but every project, no, no. every project, it's like pounding a mountain into a molehill. So you just have to figure out what rocks move first. 100%. Well, and to your point about recidivism, we are also within all of that work wanting to inform and educate the community corrections or parole officers um, and the people who are working with people who are incarcerated or recently transitioning out so that they understand and can better direct them to resources or provide support instead of another experience of incarceration or something punitive. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I love what you're saying there. And that's really the main message that I really took from our initial, I mean, there's, there's probably going to be multiple ones of these because you're, you're doing a lot of um, different, different work, but really focusing in on that access to assessment, I think is so challenging because if we don't have that, how do we know what to do? Uh, not just from a systems level, but from an individual level, you know, one person I was speaking with recently, you know, she presents really well, you know, a young professional, you know, very successful. And she went, uh, she was having some memory issues and, and it was during COVID and she was saying, don't know why this is going on. It's probably distress during COVID. And, and then they did a bunch of tests and, and it came back that there, there seemed to be a history of TBI and prolonged symptoms. Mm. She had no clue, like no clue. And, and there wasn't any really clear access to, to assessment. And, you know, I think that like I applaud from, from afar what you're doing. I think it's going to tell a lot. I think it's really gonna, it's an exciting initiative and I'm sure it's a, it's a huge initiative, but mm -hmm. I think, you know, if we're looking at recidivism is something we can measure, right? I think. Yes. And when I was in graduate school, one of my profs, you know, and Peter Drucker, the famous uh, uh, guru, you know, what gets measured gets managed, although maybe sometimes that's misquoted, but you know, it's, um, it is, it is true. And it is something that if there is something that can be done to help to try to reduce that, which I know there already are many things in place, that's really exciting. Well, we also, we also think, Mark, that by identifying the individuals in corrections as best as we can and offering them support groups and other resources, we can help them better manage their behavior by them understanding their cognitive issues. You know, we, in one of our pilot test courses, our pilot workers, excuse me, that we just, just this week we did, there was a communication issue between a couple of them. And, right. and we worked through that just by the message of thoughtful communication, which was, happened to be the topic of the support group. And they both understood different how they now can speak to each other, how they can use that as they work their way through the prison system. I, I love it. 
David, it, that that point is so incredibly key, and it's often lost in you know the plethora of information. You know, one thing that stands out to me, and it's kind of related to that, is that when I first got into doing some of this work, I, as we talked about earlier, I was kind of in education and working with kids with expression issues, you know, that actually had these cognitive deficits. So <laughs> sometimes for many of the, the people that I served and worked with, the capacity to actually utilize a strategy wasn't always there because the capacity was too low to actually have the cognitive capacity to deploy an effective strategy. And that was something that, you know, I, we were talking about earlier, you know, I'm really committed to within our group, our little puddle, puzzle piece is really focusing on, yes, assessing and then providing the kind of cognitive programs that can actually up the baseline level cognitively, especially with the focus on higher order cognitive functions to a point where people can live more independently, can become ultimately a taxpayer again, right? And, um, you know, so that's where I really, I see our two worlds maybe one day coming together a little bit more because I think that, you know, together, I just, I'm all in on your, on your mission and your vision because I just think, you know, together, there are so many people out there doing remarkable work. I've really been, I get goosebumps saying this, I've been overwhelmed, uh, completely overwhelmed by the amount of people doing uh, really society changing work in brain injury. And part of the responsibility that we feel is trying to connect these people into a community as, as much mm -hmm. as possible. That's what I'm trying to do, you know, as much as we can. I, I just see us as a little conduit trying to connect the spider web, you know, because it is, this world is, is of brain injury and, and, and really uh, society advocacy is, is confusing and it's really complex. And, mm -hmm. but, you know, knowing that there's organizations like yours out there doing the good work that you're doing, you know, someone that might be listening to this could be down in New Mexico and saying, oh my God, I need to reach out to Lauren. She just said something that really hit home for me. And maybe that could work in Santa Fe, you know, and I, I just think, you know, leveraging the power of this medium can really be useful to help so mm -hmm. many people, you know, help more people. So thank well, you. It, it, it's an everyone approach, right? It's the empowerment for the, to achieve and lead a fulfilling life through whatever piece that we can offer, whether it be a simple handout or mm -hmm. we, we offer a TBI course that's actually downloadable. I, anyone can have access to it. Um, We've it, been looking we at um, how to build communication skills and self-advocacy through things like improv. We're working with a nonprofit improv and comedy group right now for one of our Safe Kids events. Because we know that humor can help education and, and retain information and, and engage people. So we thought, let's try that. And so far, it's, it's going well. We're enjoying the partnership. Um, but we're also seeing all these other opportunities, such as, wow, we could maybe bring them into a virtual support group as, as a class to help you know, build communication skills and provide that safe environment for people to practice those communication skills. Because sometimes we learn them, but especially if you're in an environment such as incarceration, are you really in a safe place to practice some new communication skills? You probably won't feel that way, um, you know, and, and from what we've heard from them, you know, it is difficult for them to practice new ways of communicating in that environment. There's a lot of, you know, survival and coping mechanisms that 
compete with learning new communication skills and practicing them. So we're, you know, looking at new ways to how do we um, listen to what they're telling us and what they need and then provide that in new and creative ways um, through our partners that are, you know, we're finding, um, as you mentioned, there are so many amazing people doing different types of work that um, intersect and overlap. And, you know, it's all how can we be strategic and work with each other and uh, for the benefit of really the whole community, you know, especially this traumatic brain injury community. Yeah, I applaud that approach. It, it comes down to and something that you hit on that is so wise and often, again, not necessarily understood. And I go back to David's systems kind of thinking is that, you know, for many people, that might have had a, a, a TBI or even an ABI through the stroke, and they're struggling ever since. You know, we've seen the advent of, of hand therapy really starting to show, you know, um, great result in, in improving, you know, function and quality of life. Mm-hmm. And for people that might be experiencing, you know, significant attention issues that are leading to persisting mental health and then other comorbidities, all right, um, you know, many people don't realize that it may be possible to actually improve this. This doesn't have to be forever. It can get a little bit better if we're able to focus on it. And that's something that, you know, a huge mentor of mine, who I think I'm biased, but who I think is one of the pioneers, or it's not just me, but, you know, many people believe this to be true because I believe it just is, is Barbara Aerosmith-Young. And she's somebody that created a cognitive rehabilitation program that actually helps individuals to improve their own brain function. And it, it, she's a part of our team here at ABI. And together, we, we really started to help more people with brain injury to do that, if that's something they want to do. Mm-hmm. Because what's been frustrating for me is that when we think about it, you know, many people just see this once we're post-acute, whatever that means for your jurisdiction, it's a fixed condition. And it's never going to change. And we all know that's not necessarily true. And it needs to change. And it takes courage, though, to look at things like from like recidivism rates and just accepting them because it has to be a little bit, you know, at times you've seen it time and time and time again. The reoffending just keeps happening. Like it's never going to change, right? Well, it's it's not going to change unless we try something different, right? Well, and, even on the post-acute. It, it, it's there's I, I and I think that the through the outreach and awareness that Lauren and I are building, I think that it not only helps the general public understand, you know, from a public health lens, more about TBI and, and, and actually how easy it could potentially happen to anyone just from a motor vehicle accident. Mm-hmm. But we also try to build with our pathways information that helps the individual that's post-acute, whether it be the return to school program that we're using with the University of uh, Oregon Center for Brain Injury Research and Training. You know, we've offered a free course for how to help a child return to the classroom for our entire state. Um, It's opened up on our website and we put webinars and there's conferences up there. But then that to me lets the individual have the ability to make change. Here's an opportunity 
here's additional information for when you're post-acute. You know, uh, mm-hmm. our independent living pathway team is working on building almost like a one-page little handout to where someone could go, you know, I'm kind of struggling with this. Here's some, oh, here's some additional resources. Here's some mindfulness tips that to kind of bring me back into where I need to be because it all goes back to the individual when you look at it from a person-centered standpoint. Where, where are they? Where are, where are they and how can we meet them in order to help them, whether it be post-acute or even 100%. just the general public? David, like... That worksheet was actually um, specifically requested by the participants of the virtual support group in the prison. So they discussed it and said, this would help us. Um, and so, you know, it's very cool that our, our council and us, we get to be responsive to that. I mean, it's, I loved, like, again, what you said, and we're going to have to do this one again, because I, I know you're busy <laughs> uh, people, but what I struggled with, like, when I looked at some of these, you know, and just in, in health and in behavior in general, when we have an issue that might be uh, persisting and, and a problem, uh, you know, it's like, well, this particular approach may work. You know, in brain injury, sometimes if it's an issue with cognition, it might be that, okay, you know, clinical counseling it might really help you here. You know what? A biofeedback or neurobiofeedback may be able to really help you here. CBT, a cognitive behavioral therapy, may really be able to help you here. And that's all true. However, if we're looking at resources, and this is where it comes down to it sometimes, what mm-hmm. if that one particular pro- approach by itself doesn't work? And what if this place is actually interdisciplinary and not actually multidisciplinary? Well, then what happens, right? It's a, it's problematic, right? And ultimately the person can lose if that one approach doesn't necessarily work. And that's something that I came to learn in brain injury. I mean, when we look at cancer therapies, that's why combined therapies mm-hmm. tend to have relatively good outcomes. But in brain injury, that's what we came to find and, and led to us doing a lot of research to try to better understand how do you take the best of what evidence is, is suggesting and research is suggesting and then put it into the blender and come out with a systems-based systems-first based approach that can mm-hmm. actually enable someone to engage and hopefully experience better outcomes? So, well, you, you also have to take it and, and bring it to a level that people can work with and understand. Mm-hmm. We try to be really careful on just using plain language and like I said, meeting people where they are, because when we start to throw out too many terms and too many potentials, it becomes very overwhelming. It comes overwhelming right. for the for us. me. <laughs> Everyone. So, you know. so I, where do you start them at? Well, you, you start everybody with information. And, yeah. and that's, that's the first step is the empowerment of information. I love it. No, I totally love it. And um, it's so true. And what you're doing is going to help so many people. I know it. And I'm just, I just wish we could travel. I'd love to come down and, mm-hmm. and, and visit in person. And we will eventually we'll be able to do that because you're really not that far um, from us up here in, in no. the Vancouver area. So, and you're in a beautiful part of the world. I love it uh, in, in the, in Olympia and into almost into Oregon there. It's really nice. If there was now, I know we're coming close to the end here, but you know, of, of this first of probably a couple podcasts, if we kind of highlighted maybe one thing that each of you own, you only get one, <laughs> but we do another one, you can get another one later. If there was one thing you could change 
in the world of brain injury or brain health, what would that be? Go ahead, Lauren. <laughs> One thing I could change, um, you know, for me, I have been very um, interested in, and passionate about people who are navigating multiple systems, um, as I mentioned, kind of in my background. And I think that is what I, I'm about systems change and how to improve that. And so, you know, I don't know what that looks like necessarily, but I think what I would change is that we listen <laughs> to the people and, and they are able to build a system that works for them. Oh yeah, that's awesome. I would and say awareness. Awareness and outreach. I, I really yeah. think that needs to change. And, and it can't be complicated. It doesn't have to be complicated. I, I don't do well with complication. I want it simple and basic. And if as we make the public aware and as we make those with a brain injury aware, they will flourish together. It will take time, but we need to reach into communities that may not know, whether it be rural or it be smaller areas. You've done a lot of work on language um, translation in our materials to make sure that that we can't, that we have the capacity to do that, you know, because we started having these conversations amongst ourselves in the council and realized we did not have things translated into um, other languages that they need to be translated in for our communities. So that's been a big thing that we did this year also. Yeah, I mean, we've we've translated into Russian and Vietnamese and Somali and Spanish and awesome because that's all the outreach piece. There, you may very well be living with someone with a TBI, and you just need some basic information. You know, so the more we can provide, the better off we are. That would be the one thing I'd change. I love I, it. I would work harder at that. Love it, love it. So with that, and kind of parlayed right along with that, what's your general hope for the future then? In, in the world of brain injury, and it, it, it might be relatively uh, similar or close to the thing that addressing the thing that, that you want to see change, but it may not be. Uh, my hope would be, I, I, I would stay with the, the same one. It's just massive push, give people access, make resources available. It, it's not complicated. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's okay to be with risk and failure because that's how we get better the next time around. 100%. I love it. And Lauren? Like David, I have a, a planning background, but my my um, education is in community planning. So it's mm-hmm. um, sort of the a, a complementary to his infrastructure planning. And because of that, you know, I really want to see community built around brain awareness and, and injury so that people that are experiencing a brain injury have community that that they know and and can find as well as the the broader community is is aware and understanding about brain health and brain injuries since it can happen to to anyone at any time and we could be caring for someone with a brain injury at any time so um, i think that community building and um coming together piece is my uh, sort of vision for all of this work that we're doing all that I mean, we will have to do this again. You know, I just, I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing and just knowing that you're out there uh, doing the good work that you're doing to raise awareness, to provide accessibility. I love, you know, David, what you said about accessibility in, in different languages. It just really made me smile. 
I, I love that approach and I'm sure it's ha having such a huge impact on people's lives. For people that are listening again, and these will all be in the show notes, but if you wouldn't mind sharing how, if people are listening here, you know, Lauren and David, it really hit home for them. They want to learn from you. They want to connect with you. How do they, how do they reach you in your services? You know, the best way to find out everything that we're doing and that we have available, again, it's open to the public. It's all free uh, to include. We're doing an eight-part series uh, conferences this year, all virtual. Okay. Uh, those are all listed about building capacity around brain injury. But if they're, they want to find out about that, our return to school program that we discussed or our pathways or mm -hmm. any of the handouts that we have, they can just type in their search engine, TBI Washington or TBI Walk. Awesome. Did. To participate in a virtual support group, um, the platform for that is called Hey Peers. Okay. Um, and there are lots of different types of support groups available on that um, platform. But I believe you would just search for um, Washington State TBI, T TBI yeah. and you'll and, find... And those are open to the public. Uh, we have a special veterans group for those that are veterans. We do a caregivers group for caregivers. And then we have six or seven for the public every month. So great. Oh, awesome. I just, this has been so fun for me to do on a Friday. You know, I just needed more time. So I'm going to, I'm going to get more time for the next one if I could. And maybe hopefully down the road, we can do one in person and hear where you are. I have family in Washington state. So I'd, I'd love to make my way down there and, and, visit yeah. and support, I, support what you're doing. We would rather go that way. Uh, <laughs> I have, I know Whistler well. I worked the Winter Olympics. Um, okay. I, worked the, I worked the Calgary Olympics. Okay. So, so I, I've dated myself now. So I'm ready to go back. <laughs> Maybe we could like do it up on the Icefield Parkway. Uh, I love it. You know, up by one of the lakes. I'm in. Well, we'll make it happen. Uh, I just okay. want to acknowledge you again for your commitment to service. Uh, it really stood out for me today. And, you know, I'm excited to make sure that we're sharing the information as well. We'll find a way to do that best so that people can get uh, access to the, the great work that you're doing. And um, looking forward to chatting again soon. Mark, thank you very much for the chance. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Brain Mastery Podcast brought to you by ABI Wellness. Be sure to follow us on social media channels at ABI Wellness. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice. <laughs>